0: Would you please open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 3. And at this time we're going to dismiss our children to Children's Church. So if you have little kids who are preschool age through third grade, you can meet Miss Sierra in the back. Well, we are continuing our, ser- our series this morning through the book of Galatians. Galatians is one of Paul's letters it's written to a group of Christians who had been led astray by people who had come from Jerusalem who were preaching a different gospel than the, the gospel that Paul had preached in establishing the churches in Galatia. Paul had preached the gospel of Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He had preached that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that there is nothing that we can ever add or should ever add to that simple gospel of salvation. And so the book of Galatians shows us as clearly as any book in all of the Bible that Jesus is enough. He's always been enough. He will always be enough. And so with that in mind, we give our attention to the reading of God's word, beginning at Galatians 3, we'll read verses 6 through 9. These are the inspired, inerrant, and holy words of the Lord our God. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, "...in you shall all the nations be blessed." So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 10. "...for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse." by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. This is God's Word. Let's go to Him in prayer. We thank You, Lord God, for the gospel of our salvation, the gospel upon which we stand. We thank you for righteousness that is not our own, but is imputed to us through Jesus and applied to us by the Spirit of your Son. Lord, give us wisdom and insight as we study your word this morning. We thank you for it. May we become strong unto salvation as we study your word. Hear our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This picture on the screen is a picture of the new Three Mile Bridge. Now, the new Three Mile Bridge replaced the old Three Mile Bridge, which was destroyed during Hurricane Sally, when our good friends at Skanska forgot to set the parking brakes on 22 barges, many of which were parked right next to the bridge. Whoops! Now, the three-mile bridge is very important because there's no good way to get from downtown Pensacola to Pensacola Beach without that bridge. Now, technically, you could take the Garcon Point Bridge, but A, I have no idea where that is. (laughs) And B, if this picture is accurate, they let senior citizens jog on the bridge which does not seem very safe. Now, far be it from me to tell baby boomers where they are and are not allowed to jog, but when I was a kid, the silver sneakers mostly walked around the food court at the mall. (laughs) That seems safer and wiser on every level, but I digress. This morning, we're going to talk about the world's most famous bridge. We're not going to talk about the Three Mile Bridge or the Garcon Point Bridge. We're not going to talk about the London Bridge or the Brooklyn Bridge or even the Golden Gate Bridge. We're going to talk about the bridge that connects heaven and earth. We're going to talk about the bridge that connects sinful, finite human beings with the sinless, infinite, holy God. We're going to talk about the bridge that takes us from curses to blessings. The bridge that takes us from darkness to light. The bridge that takes us from sorrow to joy. The bridge that takes us from guilt to grace. Theologians call it the doctrine of justification, the good news that sinful people are declared righteous in the sight of God because Jesus built a bridge. Abraham crossed that bridge when he believed God and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. We cross that bridge as spiritual children of Abraham When we believe in Jesus, who redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. According to the Bible, our good works and our good intentions can never bridge the gap that separates us from God. That's something that only Jesus can do. But the good news, the gospel of our salvation, is that's what Jesus did do. He bridged the gap when he died on the cross and rose again. Jesus, the blessed Son of God, became a curse for us. He was cursed on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Now, if that's true, and it is, why would a group of religious Jews from Jerusalem attempt to build their own bridge to heaven? Why have human beings been trying to build a bridge to heaven ever since the Tower of Babel? Why do we try to build bridges of our own works and our own accomplishments, thinking that if we can stack the money high enough that if we can stack our degrees and credentials high enough, if we can stack the compliments that we receive high enough, then maybe, just maybe, we might be able to reach up to heaven and pull God down to us. It never works. There's only one way. There's only one bridge. His name is Jesus. That's Paul's argument. That's the doctrine of justification by grace through faith in Jesus. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, we're going to unpack that a little bit. Here's our outline. First, Abraham will show us the blessings of faith. Then, Moses, along with his friend Habakkuk, will show us the curses of legalism. And then finally, Jesus will show us The hope of the gospel. So we have Abraham and the blessings of faith, Moses, Habakkuk, and the curses of legalism, and Jesus and the hope of the gospel. How do we get from where we are to where we want to be? Galatians 3 shows us how. Let's take a closer look. We begin with Abraham and the blessings of faith. Verse 6. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, The man of faith. Now, the first question is why would Paul begin by suddenly starting to talk about Abraham? It seems like a a rather abrupt transition between verse 5 and verse 6. In in verses 1 through 5, Paul was talking to the Galatians about their personal experience of salvation. He asks them, How is it that you receive the Holy Spirit? How is it that you became a Christian? Was it through works of the law? Or was it by hearing through faith? Remember what God did. Remember that your salvation is not something that you achieved. It was something that you received. Now, in verses 6 through 9, Paul pivots to make a biblical argument for justification by grace through faith. He says, think about Abraham. Think about Abraham. Did Abraham achieve his salvation by his good works? Or did he receive his salvation by grace through faith? It's a brilliant argument because Abraham was essentially the George Washington of Israel. He was the founding father of the Israelite nation. If you could put four people on the Mount Rushmore of Israel... We would put in chronological order Abraham, Moses, King David, and Elijah. Those are the big four. Now, you can make a case for others. I'm sure you can make a case for Solomon or Elisha, Ruth, Esther, maybe the prophet Isaiah. But it's a short list, and those four, Abraham, Moses, David, and Elijah, are the four most prominent people in the history of the nation. The false teachers who were leading the Galatians astray by claiming that they were claiming the mantle of Moses who gave the law at Mount Sinai. They were saying, Moses is our guy. We represent Moses, and you need to obey the law of Moses if you want to really be a true Christian and follow the Lord. Now look at what Paul is saying. He's saying, let's not start with Moses... The second great man of Israel, let's start with Abraham. Let's start with the founding father of our nation. Did Abraham need to keep the law of Moses? Did Abraham need to be circumcised in order to receive the blessings of God? The answer to both questions is a resounding no First off, the law of Moses didn't even exist when Abraham was alive. He couldn't have specifically kept the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments had yet to be written by God on the stone tablets and brought down from Mount Sinai. So that's an impossibility. Second of all, if you read the story of Abraham, which begins in Genesis chapter 12 and concludes much later in the book, all the promises of God are given to, uh, given to Abraham before he's circumcised. He's given the first promises in Genesis chapter 12, and he finally is circumcised in Genesis chapter 17. So five chapters and many, many years pass between the time when Abraham received the unconditional promises of God, I will make you a great nation, I will make your children like the stars of the sky, I will make you a people. All of that came long, long before The the sign of circumcision. So why was Abraham circumcised? If if circumcision was not an act of obedience by which he obtained the promises of God, what is it? Well, circumcision is a sign of the covenant. It's not the condition of the covenant. It's the sign of the covenant. God didn't say, if you get circumcised, I will bless you. He said, I will bless you. Now circumcise yourself. Mark yourself off as a constant physical reminder that you belong to me. As a constant, almost sacramental reminder that we are saved by grace through faith in the living God. First comes grace, then comes gratitude. At one point in the story, as if to drive this home, God actually made promises to Abraham while he was asleep. You can't earn... Let me uh, suggest to you that you would be a, have a hard time keeping your end of the bargain if there's a bargain going on, if you're asleep. Okay? And so Abraham, fully asleep, receives the promises of God, a vision of the Holy One, walking through the pieces, God taking the, the covenant on curses on himself, It couldn't be more clear. Abraham was not blessed because he was a good man. Abraham became a good man because he was blessed. Abraham was justified by grace through faith. So how do we become children, sons and daughters of Abraham? The same way, by grace through faith. Abraham believed God, and it was counted or credited to him as righteousness. And we believe God, and it's counted or credited to us as righteousness. If you believe the promises of God, if you trust the God of Abraham, you'll cross the bridge from earth to heaven, and your father Abraham will be waiting for you on the other side. Verse nine. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. If you're a Christian, Abraham's family is your family. Abraham's Savior is your Savior. Abraham's King is your King. And Abraham's God is your God. If you believe in Jesus, If you receive him as your Savior and Lord, your faith will be counted to you as righteousness, and you will be blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That leads us to Moses, Habakkuk, and the curses of legalism. Now, the interesting thing about legalism is that there's a religious form of legalism, and there's a secular form of legalism. On the surface, they seem very different, but if you look closer, you see that there really are two sides of the same coin. Religious legalists ask the question, is faith really all we need? What about morality? What about obedience? What about good works? What about the Ten Commandments? What about dancing? What about drinking? What about smoking? What about people who've been divorced? What about people from other denominations? <gasps> Are, can those people get saved? It doesn't seem very likely. Now, on the other hand, secular legalists asks, "Why do we need faith at all? Isn't it enough to simply be a good person? Isn't it arrogant to say that my religion is somehow better than your religion? That my God is somehow better than your God? How could God condemn a sincere person? Simply for for picking the wrong religion. Now the commonality for both religious legalists and secular legalists is morality. For both religious legalists and secular legalists, The good people go to heaven, and the bad people go to hell. The good people are blessed, and the bad people are cursed. Now, religious legalists and secular legalists have very different definitions about what constitutes a good person versus a bad person, but really, there's a connection there. There's a thread. Both are trying to work their way up to the glory of God. The works principle is the same. Now, what does Paul have to say about legalism? What does he have to say about self-salvation? What does Moses say? What does Habakkuk say? I know you're all wondering what Habakkuk has to say. Verse 10. For those who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy... Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Again, remember the context. These legalistic Christians were saying that Moses is our guy. We want you, Galatians, to follow the laws of Moses. You can't just believe in Jesus and then act like you're done. True Christians are circumcised. True Christians don't eat bacon. True Christians make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem every single year. There's Passovers and feasts and holidays. Now Paul says, okay, let's talk about Moses. What exactly did Moses teach about keeping the law? What exactly did Moses say about obeying the laws that he had received from God? Here's what he says. He says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. In other words, legalism is a curse. Legalism is a curse because when it comes to law keeping, God doesn't grade on a curve. When you commit to this idea that I'm going to work my way to heaven, here's what you're signing up for. Personal, perpetual, perfect obedience to the law of God. Now you might say, well, okay, Pastor Joel, I get it. But that sounds more like the Old Testament God. He's a lot more strict. New Testament God is a lot more gentle. Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, all that. Well, what does Jesus have to say about keeping the law? Have you read the Sermon on the Mount? You would be, if you've never read it, it's in Matthew, starting in Matthew 5, it will shock you. Jesus says, if you even think sinful thoughts, you are guilty of the thing that you're thinking about. He says, if you have anger in your heart, you're guilty of murder. If you have lustful thoughts, you're guilty of the sin of adultery. According to Jesus, even our thoughts condemn us before a holy God. If you're a legalist, if you're a moralist, if you're relying on on being a good person in order to earn God's love, let me suggest that you have no idea how holy God is, and you have no idea how sinful we are. We are sinful by nature and by choice. In other words, we are born in sin, which is bad, and we choose to sin every day, which is much, much worse. Our God is a consuming fire. He cannot and will not tolerate sin. He will not tolerate the sins that we commit, and He will not tolerate the sins that are committed against us. There is a judgment day. There is a day of reckoning. And whether you're a third world dictator or a third grade school teacher, we will all appear before the throne of God to give an account for everything we've ever said, to give an account for everything we've ever done. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a very scary prospect for me. Because if you were to make a list Of all the sinful thoughts I've ever had, all the sinful words I've ever spoken, all the sinful things that I've ever done, I would stand condemned before a holy God. If you were to catalog a fraction of the sins that I have committed, I would stand condemned before a holy God. So what's the answer? Help us out, Habakkuk. We're in big trouble here because the works bridge is collapsing like something out of Indiana Jones. It's falling right behind us. What are we going to do? Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous will live by faith. In case that's not clear enough for you, Paul adds this, verse 12. But the law is not of faith. Rather, here's Moses again, the one who does them, the one who keeps the commandments shall live by them. For many, many people, legalism seems like a viable option. Whether it's secular legalism or religious legalism, the idea that if we can just keep the rules, then we can just walk our way right to heaven and we don't need to give our lives over to God, we don't need to trust, we don't need to have faith. We can do For ourselves, what God says only that he can do, it's not a viable option. We will not be fine. Legalism promises blessings and it delivers curses every single time. So so what is our hope? (laughs) What are we to do? That leads us to our third big idea. We'll conclude with this. Jesus and the hope of the gospel. When it comes to salvation by grace through faith in Jesus, a lot of pe- the, probably the most common question that I get is, well, how do I know if I have true faith? How do I know if I have enough faith? How do I know if, I'm, if I have saving faith? How do I know if I've really trusted the gospel? Many of us relate to the man in the, in the New Testament who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Here's the answer. When it comes to saving faith, it's not about the quantity of our faith or the quality of our faith. It's about the object of our faith. So the question isn't, do you believe? The question is, do you believe in Jesus? Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus on the cross took our place. Jesus was cursed so that we might be blessed. Jesus died so that we might live. Jesus experienced sorrow so that we might experience joy. Through Jesus, we become sons and daughters of Abraham. Through Jesus, we are justified. Through Jesus, we have everlasting life. When I was a little kid going to Sunday school, our Sunday school teachers taught us a song that is secretly one of the greatest Christian songs ever written. Do you know what it is? I'm tempted to sing it, but I don't think anyone wants that, so I'll say it. Father Abraham had many sons. (laughs) Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you so let's just praise the lord now at that point it sort of devolves into this kind of uh hokey pokey in the right hand in the right hand but it's a brilliant amazing song because of jesus we are the sons and daughters of abraham because of jesus we are the heirs of the kingdom of god because of jesus we are loved because of jesus we are forgiven There is a bridge between heaven and earth, and Jesus is the bridge. We're saved by grace through faith in Him. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh Lord our God, we thank you for the riches of your grace. We thank you that you have built a bridge, that you have crossed the uncrossable chasm that separates us from you, our holy God. We thank you that in Jesus, we have nothing to fear. We thank you that in Jesus, all of our guilt and all of our shame has been wiped away forever. We thank you that because of Jesus, we have a good, good Father. Oh Lord God, hear our prayers For we pray in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our King. Amen.